Morning, everyone. Welcome to our service. The reckless love of God. Isn't that an amazing thought to consider? I think often we hear that we need to pursue God. And there's a lot of truth to that. But there's a greater truth. And the greater truth is that God pursues us. And the, and the, Lord's, the large story of the scriptures is actually God's pursuit of us. And next weekend, we celebrate the, really the climax of that pursuit in, in the Christian story, uh, Easter weekend. And uh, I don't know if there's a slide up there, but um, we are, have a full weekend of reflections and celebration and worship plan for you, and uh, uh, I just want to make sure you don't miss it. There's an insert in your bulletin. I hear rumors sometimes that nobody looks at their bulletin, um, but I would encourage you to uh, look at the bulletin, the insert regarding uh, next weekend, the times and locations, Good Friday here at 1030, uh, sunrise service, uh, sunny, uh, sunny side park, um, if it's not like today. If it's like yesterday, it will be wonderful. Uh, if it's pouring rain like today, then we're going to have uh, that sunrise service here in the gym. And then a pancake breakfast, and then a great celebration at 1030 as we celebrate the resurrection. So we just don't want you to miss any of that as we celebrate this incredible love of Christ. And we're going to look at a a foretaste of that in our text this morning. Uh, before I do that, would you just pray with me? Father, it's good to be here today. And though, Father, each of us made this decision to come here today, and we can feel like we're doing our religious thing, or we're pursuing you, and we're pursuing knowledge of you, and in one sense that's true. But there's a whole dimension in which we don't recognize your pursuit of us, that your grace is all around us, and that we are here by grace and by your sovereign plan beyond our comprehension. And, and maybe you have purposes even for us in these moments to draw us to yourself that we might not be aware of, but I pray that we would be open to them. And as we reflect on your word and we reflect on this amazing love of Jesus, you would, you would draw us in. You would help us to understand even, even more what the love of God, what the love of Jesus is about for each one of us. So we commit this time to you. Father, in our, in our weakness, may you be strong and help each one of us today that we would be aware of what you have for us. For in the name of Jesus, we would pray. Amen. Uh, well, the uh, text we're looking at this morning is found in John 13. And my apologies, I forgot to put the, the number on the uh, screen that is in the racks that are before you, John 13. And I'm going to read, uh, the passage we're going to look at goes right to verse 17, but I'm going to start with just reading the first 11 verses and then uh, read the, the rest of that a little bit later. So hear God's word or follow along with me. It's also on the screen. 
It was just before the Passover festival. Uh, Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said, not everyone was clean. God bless his word. Have you ever been surprised by uh, someone's love for you, act of love to you? So, uh, so surprised and shocked in the moment you, you didn't quite know what to say. Uh, maybe someone has thrown you a surprise, a birthday party, or, or, or given you an extravagant gift you didn't expect, or honored you in some way that uh, almost took your breath away. Uh, as a parent, I know that uh, probably some of the greatest joys I've experienced is when, as a parent, we've given our, our children something that kind of surprised them. It's a wonderful privilege doing that as a parent. Uh, I still remember when I was a young kid, and, and my parents gave me a race car set, uh, the kind where uh, two cars go around a track on a figure eight. Some of you may uh, remember those. Um, I don't see them much today. I'm sure a bit boring uh, by today's standards. Uh, but I loved that race car set, spent hours and hours and hours uh, playing with that, and I was totally surprised by it. Uh, one of the most humbling experiences of love, though, in my life that uh, I received when I was uh, on a mission trip uh, to Zimbabwe, Africa, a few years ago. Uh, on that trip, we ended up in a very, very poor village and we were received with this amazing hospitality. And, and we were just treated like uh, royalty, given the, the best they had. Uh, I remember that they, they, they killed one of their chickens for our supper, which for them uh, represented a, a significant cost. And all of us on that team, we hardly knew what to say. We were so humbled by that act of generous love. Those, those are just a taste of this unexpected, surprising expression of love that is recorded for us in John 13. Uh, the passage of Scripture we're going to look at today is easily divided in three sections. The first section just speaks to us about this radical love of Jesus. 
Uh, the second section takes us into an, an important first uh, meaning of this act, and then later we will look at a third application of this foot washing. So let's consider the first section together. Uh, the gospel writer John, uh, in the first verse, uh, sets the reader up. It says, uh, again, verse 1, it was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave the world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now, in the Gospel of John, chapter 13 begins a a new section, if you read through the whole gospel, and transitions Jesus from a very public ministry uh, to really the last few hours that he spends with his intimate 12 disciples. And actually in John chapters 13 to 17 records Jesus' final words and teachings before his arrest and trial and, and subsequent crucifixion. This is an incredibly important section of Scripture, and it's launched with this act of washing his disciples' feet, which occur as they share the Passover meal together. What we need to kind of pick up and notice is there's an urgency as Jesus is aware that the hour has come. The hour has come. That is, the hour of his sacrifice, his final act of love for the sins of the world. The hour of his suffering, the hour of his passion. The hour, as the gospel reveals, when he reveals his glory. The glory of his love, his divine plan for paying the price for our forgiveness, for our salvation, for our eternity. And this is what is on Jesus' mind. The hour has come as he shares this final Passover. And John says, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Important little phrase here. He loved them to the end. Some translate that as to the very end or to the uttermost. The phrase is actually expressing the extent the extent of Jesus' radical love. Uh, it's sort of like saying at this point in the text, we've, we've already seen that Jesus loved his disciples, but hold on, you haven't seen anything yet. Prepare to be amazed. And amazed we should be. Now, there are a couple things in the text that give particular significance to that. The first is that we are told in verse 2 that Judas Iscariot, the one who is about to betray Jesus, is at the table with Jesus. I am stunned as I reflect on this each time. And I believe we are to be stunned by this. The, the one who's going to be the betrayer of Jesus is not only at this intimate setting with Jesus, 
But Jesus is about to humble himself and wash his feet. And you see, the amazing thing is Jesus knows. Jesus knows. It's revealed later in the chapter. Jesus knows, knows that Judas is the one who's going to betray him. And yet Jesus is going to wash his feet too. The second thing is that Jesus fully knows who he is and what he could do. Verse 3, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. Jesus had self-knowledge about his purpose and divine mission, who he really was. And you see, Jesus could have taken Judas out right then and there. And I don't mean out for a walk. Let your minds try and capture the weight of this. The Father had put all things under his power. If you have ever been hurt, betrayed, deeply offended, then you, do, you know, as I know, the temptation to lash out. To be honest, it's hard for me to comprehend the self-restraint that Jesus exhibits not only here, but throughout the arrest and trial and crucifixion. The self-restraint. All things under his power. And yet. And why? Why? Because of his incredible, unfathomable, amazing Reckless love. You see, for Jesus, it was always his character, not the character of the other person that guided his actions. But Jesus not only exhibits self-restraint in what he doesn't do, it is, of course, in what he now does. And verse 4 and 5 say, So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist, and after that he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. You can imagine that as John the disciple is writing this, he is reliving it in his mind. It's a, a detailed account and you can be sure that every eye was on Jesus, stunned into silence. What is Jesus doing? It can't be. Now, the act of foot washing, of course, was common in that day. The dusty roads and sandals. But it was certainly seen as a menial task. Uh, some historians suggest that uh, even servants weren't asked 
to wash uh, people's feet. Uh, while others suggest that it was the role of the, the lowliest of servant servants, sometimes maybe uh, the woman of the house might take up this unpleasant, undesirable task. And clearly, as they gathered for Passover, as they met together, uh, none of the other disciples had taken up the task on this very special occasion. So Jesus gets up, takes off his outer clothing, which would have been an act of humility in itself, and then begins to tenderly wash each of his disciples' feet. If you are familiar with this story, try not to let it dull the shock of that moment. A good number of years ago when Prince William of the British royal family was then just four or five years old, a brief video clip of the family was repeated over and over uh, for some time uh, when Prince William, in a midst of a keen interest in something, uh, began to run off. And, and, and Queen Elizabeth threw off her stately position in decorum and went after her grandson. And, and it was a big deal on the news clips all over the world that the queen threw off her, her stately uh, regard and position to run after this little child. The world was shocked by it. <laughs> Here, the, the Lord of the ages, the Messiah, the one who came from heaven, would soon return, takes up a basin and towel, and washes his disciples' dirty feet the king of ages takes up a towel and basin, serves. This is a radical, reckless love. And we are to be amazed by it. The Jesus we worship today humbled himself, washed his disciples' feet. This is the Lord we worship, a humble, serving, radical, loving Savior. But there's more. There's more. For what is recorded for us next in the dialogue with Peter takes us into some significant deeper meaning. Uh, Peter, as he so often is betrayed in the Gospels, well, he, he just cannot stay silent and bursts out what many, I'm sure, were thinking at the time. When Jesus comes to Peter, he just can't take it. This is, this is wrong. This is appropriate. This is upside down. This is the rabbi, the miracle worker, the Christ. No, Jesus, No. Then Jesus says these words, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. And now the washing is not just about dirty feet. Now this washing is about connection, and community, belonging, 
And I believe that in this, Jesus is actually connecting the foot washing with the ministry of the cross that is about to come. It's a symbol, a sign of the even greater act of self-giving and humiliation that is about to come, but is the soul cleansing, which the foot washing now symbolizes. You see, Peter and we have to let Jesus wash our dirty feet to wash our dirty souls. This is necessary to belong to Jesus. We cannot hide from him, keep from him what must be cleansed if we're to belong to him, be in relationship with him. You see, the relationship that Jesus would have with us is a very intimate one. A, a personal one, not one of mere formality, religiosity. Jesus comes, touches, washes, dries his disciples' feet. You see, sometimes I, I think it can be easier to just keep Jesus at a distance. Jesus, stay away from the mess of my life. Jesus, it, it's, it's embarrassing. It's humiliating for me to show you my ugly, dirty feet. But Jesus says, I must. I must. If you want to belong to me. Do you know Jesus knows everything, everything about you. Every thought, every desire, every hidden sin, every failure. And he loves you. He loves you. He has grace for you. He wants to know you and for you to know that you belong to him. But you need to let him wash you. For Peter, the thought of separation sent him in another direction. Verse 9, then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet then, but my hands and my head as well. Don't you love Peter? Peter's anything but half-hearted. I'm in, I'm in. But in the moment, he misses the point, as he often did. So we, then we come to this critical statement of Jesus. Verse 10, Jesus answered, Those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. What does Jesus mean by this? Well, again, Jesus is not merely talking about physical dirt. When he speaks of them all being clean, though not every one of you, he's clearly referring to Judas. Um, and so we're not just speaking of physical cleanliness. Some have suggested that Jesus is here actually referring to, to baptism and that those who are baptized don't need to be rebaptized. 
I think it's unlikely that the act of baptism itself was being referred to. But again, the symbolism of baptism and the act of foot washing clearly intersect in their meaning and their symbolism of, of cleansing and being made whole and washed by grace. For it is the grace and love of Jesus that makes us clean, and that's what we celebrate in baptism as well as this foot washing. But we need to consider this contrast that Jesus heightens between the bath and foot washing, the whole and the partial, the, the once and the daily. In the immediate context, for Peter and the other disciples, they had put their faith in Christ as the Messiah even before witnessing his death and resurrection. They truly believed, but, but Judas had not. He had remained unclean, separated, about to act out the will of the devil. He was still under the devil's control and power. He had heard, but his heart had remained hard, separated, so close and yet so far. But yet, the disciples needed to let Jesus wash their feet from the dirt of the day. I understand the foot washing is giving us this beautiful picture of the one time putting our faith in Christ when we surrender and say, yes, Lord, I believe in you, I, I trust in you, I want you to save me from all my sins, receive his grace, and we're born anew. So kind of a one-time thing when we come to that point in our spiritual journeys. There is a time for what we would describe as conversion, that time of real surrender, that realization that in our life as a whole we need a Savior. But the grace and love of Jesus is not just a one-time event. The Christian life is not to be pictured as a one-time confession of sin and then that's it and that's over. The grace of Jesus goes on and on, grace upon grace, thankfully. For we remain in desperate need of ongoing grace. For all of us continue to get dirty feet. We sin, we mess up, and thankfully there is grace. We don't need to be saved again. We need to be renewed, refreshed, cleansed. We need to know that there is grace for today. The Apostle John, the same gospel writer who recalls the foot washing in his letter to the church, writes, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This ongoing grace. And this grace is great enough 
for all my sins and for all your sins. But yes, we must continue to humble ourselves before this Jesus and let him wash us. And that may be the thing that you need to take most from this service and reflect on and apply. And there will be time at the end of our service if you just need to again sit at Jesus' feet and know his love for you. But Jesus in the third section changes the conversation and the application, and I believe we need to look at this too. For he ties this all together. Let me read verses 12 to 17. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Verse 15 gets to the crux. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. And he backs it up with this convicting thought, if you call me teacher and Lord and master, (laughs) then don't think this is beneath you if it's not beneath me. You ever participated in an actual foot washing? Several times in my life, particularly at Bible College, we had a chapel service where we did a service of foot washing. And if you've never done that, I might suggest you you might want to do that sometime, maybe in your community groups. Of course, in our day, it loses something in this very clean culture and lovely pedicures. No, I've never had one. Uh, The consensus throughout church history is that Jesus was not instituting another ordinance here. Uh, Although I've heard of many churches that have a foot washing service, sometimes even a special Monday, Thursday, Thursday evening before Easter weekend. But most suggest that really Jesus was simply speaking graphically into how his disciples were to love each other. Later in this same chapter are these very strong, important, defining words. A new commandment I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know you are my disciples, that you belong to me, that you follow me, that you represent me, if you love. You see, Jesus was and is today about creating a community of followers who would radically love, 
who would humbly serve, who would express extravagant grace, reckless. And that this, this kind of community would be a proclamation to the world that Christ was in their midst. And that that is what it means to be church. See, Jesus knew, knew people's love of position, of status, of power over others. But Jesus was about establishing a different kind of community, a community of servants, a community where greatness is defined by service. Where service is the standard and norm for leaders. And the history of the church, even recent scandals of these past few months, reveals just how the church has struggled to do this. Jesus challenged this core group of disciples, serve one another, love one another, wash each other's dirty feet. James, the brother of Jesus, wrote these words to early Christians. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Confess your sins to each other. Radical community. I wonder how we deal with each other's sinfulness, fallenness, brokenness. You see, if we have experienced grace, if we stand in grace, if we know that Jesus has washed our dirty feet, how could we not? How could we not love others and show grace, tenderness, compassion, forgiveness? And Jesus says yet, by this, by this, the world will know that you are my followers. How will you follow Jesus' example? Jesus humbled himself to serve. He saw the need, took the initiative, took up the towel and basin, knelt down, washed his disciples' dirty feet. You and I know the world is a very messy place. But grace, the beauty of grace, it's cleansing, it's powerful, and it's beautiful. And if we would live like that, the world would be changed.
as the worship team comes. Oh, the amazing, wonderful, unmeasurable, reckless love of Jesus. We are humbled by your love. We are humbled by your love for us. And Father, I pray that if there's anyone here who may feel that they've strayed too far, they've done too much wrong, there isn't grace sufficient for them, you would break the lie. And that they would know that you are seeking them. That you love them. Nothing, nothing is too great for your love. And at the same time, Father, help us begin to grasp what you call us to as a community of your people. And think more deeply about what that might mean for us as we live day in and day out in this world. And may the name of Jesus be lifted up and glorified. Amen.